0: Also be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life.
1: I think we can get stuck in this pattern of regret or shame or frustration. Maybe we were manipulated by money, so it isn't always a story like yours, but it might be one that's just as painful where uh, we can do that can be just toxic. And so this idea of at some place along the line saying, you know, I forgive myself or forgive this other person. And that doesn't mean you go talk to them because that may not be appropriate. But just saying those words out loud and freeing yourself to move forward, um, because I would argue that in your story, that there was a tremendous amount of courage that it took to start a company, to see it through, to decide to pay back all the, what sounds like pay off some significant amount of money. And, And what that taught you and how that shaped you, you're not the same person you were.
0: Hey, everybody. It's Ash here. And of course, I have you on another week of the U-Turn podcast, but this is really something special. I know that we've talked a lot about money and mindset, but what we haven't had is somebody who works in wealth management directly. And so that is why I'm really excited to bring John Christensen on the show. He uh, just authored the Wealth Creators Playbook, a guide to maximizing your return on life and money. And he, his work is all about the intersection of life and money. So he's the founder and CEO of Highland Private Wealth Management, which is a boutique financial life management company in Bellevue, Washington. And for more than 25 years, he's managed the financial lives of some of the most successful wealth creators in the country, executives at Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, Nike, Facebook, um, so much more. He's a CFA, charter holder, um, all of the magical things. And he also has a podcast called The Wealth Confidant. So I'm really excited to have him here to talk to you about how you can upgrade your relationship with money, your EQ with money, and understand your history with money so that you can move forward in a better, more empowered way. John, thank you so much for making the time.
1: Oh, Ashley, it's great to be here. So, thanks for having me.
0: It is great to be here. We've tried so many times to schedule this, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, gosh. totally. I mean, I don't know if you could manage this company you're managing if you had people like me working for you just trying to schedule this thing.
1: <laughs> oh, no uh, you know, but it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm so
0: excited. Well, so I'm curious just kind of briefly before we dive into your steps on upgrading your, you know, understanding your history and upgrading how you are with money now. Uh, what got you so interested in devoting your career to it?
1: Uh, well, what happened for me was that I was uh, at thirty seven uh, years old and i was I was unfulfilled myself. I went through uh, a, I was working for a couple of guys who defined success uh, by money and there was just something under the surface that wasn't working for me and I was having some physical uh problem my body was reacting in a negative way I was having anxiety and all these other issues and I just knew I wasn't fulfilled and I just believed there had to be more and so uh, I was at a place where I had uh, three young kids and a wife that was home and a new home um, that we had purchased and and so I, it was just not a good time for me to be thinking about doing something different. But it's interesting when your life gets to that place where something isn't working uh, and you just get to a place where I've got to make a change. There's something has to give. Mm-hmm. And I decided to, to start a company <laughs> with literally no money. Um, but I knew that my life was at a place where, where something needed to change. And so uh, at the exact same time, I'm, I'm working with and had been in the financial services industry, had been working with these really successful first-generation wealth creators, and a lot of them in the technology space. I'm in Seattle, so a lot of Microsoft at the time, wealth was being created through that company. And these people were somewhat close to my age, were dealing with money in life, and it was interesting that they weren't as well finding this fulfillment in just purely money. Uh, and so, uh, it, it really sent me on what's been now a 20 year journey of if it's not that, then what is it? Mm. <laughs> and, and so I, I, concluded in all of that, that, uh, there, there just had to be a more holistic definition that included more of my life. Um, for me personally, I wanted to get to know my wife better. I wanted to be a present uh, and available dad. I wanted to coach my son's select baseball team, and I didn't want to be uh, the coach who, the assistant coach, who showed up once in a while. I wanted to be the head coach. And I wanted to to be creative and and create uh, and to pursue some hobbies and passions. but but on top of all of that, I also wanted to be financially successful. It wasn't like I wanted to give up on that. I wanted it all, mm-hmm. actually. I, I wanted all of it. And, and I didn't want somebody to define that for me. I wanted to be able to define that. I didn't want to have to accept this definition that, that was being kind of handed to me, that you got to go make money, and then you'll go figure your life out. That's how I got kind of to hear.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel as I was listening to you, like I want it all too. And I, I think a lot of people listening do, but then sometimes when they think about you or even me in some way, it's like maybe somebody looks at you and says, yeah, well, he had to really work hard to create this wealth management company. And, you know, you've been in business now for so long. And some people think of the idea of having it all and they kind of tie it to like exchanging their life for the pursuit of money. Like, So I, I would love to know your thoughts for anybody listening who feels like I want to have it all too. Um, and maybe the next thought they're having is, wow, that means I need to like do so much for it and maybe I shouldn't have it all. You know, what, what's your thought on something like that?
1: Uh, I think that's bogus. <laughs> I mean, I just I, I, I mean, I just believe that we all have to define uh, what all means. And, and I think that's uh, a huge part of that for me was, well, what do I want? And, and I knew I wanted some of the things I shared with you, and I didn't want to have to sacrifice on that. And I knew that starting a company would give me the ability to create enough money to do some of those things, but would also create the freedom for me to pursue, pursue some of those other things we talked about and, and, and to have the freedom to go on even a spiritual journey about who am I, why am I here, and, and, and heal some of the uh maybe the wounds from my past and my upbringing, I I, I needed space to, to think about that, to do all that and to process all that. Yeah. I had no idea whether this company was going to be successful. Heck, I, I mean, I started with zero. So, but what I knew was that I, in a few short number of years, and I and I don't know why I picked 50, but I did. And I went, if I stay on this path, I'm fine. I'm content. I have... A good paying job at the time. I'm I'm saving money. I got my four, you know. Right. I got all the, you know. But I knew at fifty, I'd probably have some regrets. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't want to get there, kind of boiling the frog. I didn't want to get there and just feel like, wow, I I just spent the best part of my life. And maybe this wouldn't work exactly the way I thought. But I'd sure want to get there saying I. I gave it every shot I could to create the life I really wanted to live.
0: Mm -hmm. And some people, I think, and that's why they come to this podcast, they don't always know what they want to do with their career. And one thing I was just kind of reading the different bullets on topics you cover. And it was like, wow, this is ripe. Like there's so much uh, charge for so many people with what you talk about. You talk about money and relationships. So before we dive into upgrading your emotional EQ and, Uh, Looking at your money history, I was curious to ask you a little bit about that because right now, for example, with me, um, I have a history of uh, I had a company and it didn't totally go under, but it went from $5 million to negative a half million dollars and I paid off the debt over years, which was a whole journey. Um, And so many people said to me, you know, why didn't you claim bankruptcy? And I had this weird, stubborn entrepreneurial thing where I was like, I'm going to pay this off. And um, one of the biggest challenges for me when I had that debt Uh, Well, one was trying to explain what happened with my company because it kind of felt like a clusterfuck to me, honestly. Um, Uh But secondly, it was dating, like feeling like, oh, my gosh, there's so many men out there that have been so responsible with their career and with their money. And here I am showing up with $200,000 left to pay off on a business error and um, with no promise of being able to bounce back. And thankfully, I've since done so. Um, But now I'm in a relationship with the right person he's incredible at managing money he's so responsible and I'm for the first time like a little kid I'm learning how to manage money now because I made so much and lost so much and now I'm in this space of redefining my relationship with money so for anyone listening I'm guessing there's anyone in a couple right now where one person's maybe better with money Um, what are some issues that you kind of can anticipate for somebody to take a look at in their relationships
1: well, you said a lot there one is uh, one is uh, that came to my mind was just forgiveness, forgiving yourself, and maybe others for uh, money pain of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can get stuck in this pattern of regret or shame or Uh, frustration, maybe we were manipulated by money. So it isn't always a story like yours, but it might be one that's just as painful, where uh, we can do that can be just toxic. And so this idea of at some place along the line saying, you know, I forgive myself or forgive this other person. And that doesn't mean you go talk to them, because that may not be appropriate. But just saying those words out loud and freeing yourself to move forward. Um, Because I would argue that in your story, that there was a tremendous amount of courage that it took to start a company, to see it through, to decide to pay back all the what sounds like pay off some significant amount of money. Yeah. And and what that taught you and how that shaped you, you're not the same person you were.
0: No, definitely not. You you'll can't. you'll
1: never be you're right. You'll never be. And and I would believe you believe you're a better person. Yeah. So now now you came into a relationship with somebody who may or may not have a good relationship with money. It sounds like you're in a good one, but I think that that isn't always the case. And so what we can fall into, uh, now is this idea of roles. What are the roles that we have with money in our relationships? We kind of fall into them. You're good with money. I'm not money stresses me out. So would you handle it? All that stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and what that leads us to then is one person in the relationship. And it's usually because, uh, of inequality and in financial, either literacy or an actual financial worth. Yeah, so I've got the money, so I'm going to take care of it. I, I'm vested, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that creates a weird dynamic where the other person, the unequal <laughs> partner in, in that, um, can feel left out, can yeah. feel like they don't know what's going on. And if anything ever happened to you, Um, I'm screwed uh, because I don't even know who we work with. I don't know where the statements are. I don't even know the passwords, for heaven's sake. So yeah, well, uh, and also
0: prenups. Like, I have a lot of friends who are marrying men who are uh, have created wealth, and they it's almost like money is a way to keep them separate. It's the last straw in what's left of separation between the two of them. They've had a wedding, but there's like a wall between them and the money, and it creates this emotional disconnect. Um, between the partners is what I've seen. And it's interesting because my girlfriends are some of the most grounded, heartfelt, beautiful people I know. They're the last person who is interested in marrying a guy for money. They fell in love with somebody and that person happened to have created wealth. And that person is working through a lot with their wealth. So I'm curious, like, what do you think drives that kind of fear in connections or that disempowerment in relationships?
1: Well, I think I, I had a very senior guy tell me recently as he was going through uh, a relationship, you know, he said it's, it's so bizarre to be basically moving towards complete intimacy with someone. Yeah. But then you've got this one thing that, that you're at the same time negotiating separation, you're ne- negotiating a parting gift. <laughs> As, yeah. in the event, it doesn 't work yeah. uh, and he said it it 's just the most bizarre thing to do, and so it creates a obviously a really strange dynamic, and one that takes a lot of thought, a lot of open communication, a lot of uh, you have to have a place where you can really share those feelings and talk about them openly I actually was doing a TV gig recently and, and somebody behind the camera said, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'm, I'm setting up, a, I'm, one of my friends told me to set up a run fund and I kind of laughed and I said, well, I think I know what that is. What are you tell me what that is? And um, yeah, literally setting aside some money in the event it doesn't work, I can run. And, and I said that there's a whole other element there of kind of financial, uh, you know, cheating on somebody financially. I'm not going to, I'm not going to share everything with you. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep this to, to, to myself. And and so I think there's a lot there, actually, that is challenging and I think does require some coaching, does require counseling, does require advising or having people in your life where you can talk about those things.
0: Mm -hmm. So as we get into these four steps that we kind of talked about before we started recording, um, what do you think is the most common um, sabotage? for people's relationship with money? What do you think is, is there one thing that you're like, wow, if you don't look at anything with money, just look at this one thing. This is what's hurting your relationship. Usually, what would you say that thing would be?
1: I think the thing is that money is taboo. Mm. And so what we do is we don't talk about it Mm. because there's all this stuff that money brings with it our history, our emotions, our decisions. Our, uh, uh, it just it, it has a lot wrapped up in it. Who we are at some level, it reflects who we are at some level. And so, because of that, and because we don't know how to talk about it, and because we're afraid that it's going to bring up kind of like we were just talking about, it's going to bring up maybe some fear. Mm -hmm. Around the relationship, it's going to bring up what if our relationship doesn't work, and what if all this stuff, right? And Mm -hmm. so then, what do we do? The easier thing to do is not talk about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just too—it's too hard. So uh, if I would say anything to somebody, it's uh, you've got to find a place where you can talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the financial services industry is today, and I'm on kind of on a rampage about this right now, (laughs) is—is that. we're not trained, financial advisors aren't trained to do that. Yeah. They're tra- they're trained to answer your questions about asset allocation and where to put the money and what fund and and how your financial plan looks, but they're not are the industry just is not trained to do that. That's coaching. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a very different skill set. What a and gap so
0: in these firms, what a gap a there's huge people gap. yeah, it's such an emotional topic for so many people. It's like how do they see a financial advisor and feel like the person's just giving them logistics?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's why the book I wrote, that's why the Wealth Confidant. I believe there's this intersection of money and life, and you're part consultant and you're part coach. Mm -hmm. And I have to know when it's time to give you the answer because, of course, that's important. Hey, I know, you know, I have more experience around where to invest money and all. So that's important. But I also need to know when to take that hat off and put on my coaching hat and say, you know what, the answer's inside of you. I just need to be a really good listener and ask really empowering questions so you get to the answer because it's going to be way more meaningful than if I tell you the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's my job. Your job is to run your life and live your life. Mm-hmm. But my job is to help you and help coach you to the right outcome. So mm-hmm. so I, that's what I would say to people. And, and it's hard to find those relationships. It really is. They're not a dime a dozen. They're, they're hard to come by. But I think that that's what you're looking for uh, when you're looking for an advisor in your life.
0: And then the reverse question I would have is, you know, I know that you're managing financial lives of some of the most successful executives in the country. And so I'm curious if you're noticing the people who are quote unquote good with money, is there something about their mindset or the way they see it that you think is really um, consistent for people who are excellent with money?
1: Yeah, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit as it relates to your emotional relationship to money, I right. think, as we talk more. But uh, yes, for sure. I, I believe that uh, there there tends to be a focus more on an abundance mindset um, and more of a stewardship mindset as it relates to money, which leads to guess what? It leads to contentment. Mm. And And so when you're content, there's there's less of that anxiety and worry and all the stressors that come with money. It's not like you're never there. We're not perfect, but we can train ourselves and we can actually look at money differently through a different lens and in some cases heal our relationship with money uh, so that it becomes a tool for living life fully, which is what Really, at the end of the day, it's, money is a, is a means. It's not the end.
0: Yeah. Money is
1: a means. A means to creating things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And so the, the first step is to figure out what's important to you and then have money facilitate and serve those things. It's not being in service to just the money.
0: So it comes down a lot to intentionality then, you know, just being clear on what your intentions are. I think so many people are living their lives without asking those questions and then suddenly their bank account's empty and they don't have the space to do the things that they value because they didn't set that aside. So as it relates to upgrading your relationship with money, the first point you talked about with me before we started recording was money history and this feels Mm -hmm. so juicy. So. What does it mean for someone who's listening right now who wants to upgrade their relationship with money and the way they see it to look at their money history?
1: So so what I do with somebody when I'm sitting with them is just say, what role did money play in your life growing up? When we were in our homes growing up, what role did money play? In mine, my home was really frugal. My parents used a lot of secondhand stuff. It was—I can remember going with my dad, you know, in his trailer to the dump to get these gems that people would leave behind, and we would somehow wrap those into projects at the house or whatever. And and but I also have some pain around that. Mm-hmm. I you know I can remember clearly going uh, to baseball practice as a freshman in high school and I needed spikes brand new you know it was the first year I could wear real metal spikes and and we went to a secondhand store to get spike, to get the cleats that I needed which wasn't as a surprise to me the surprise was that the the cleats were white and I I played in an era where everyone wore black cleats so I got mm-hmm. to the practice and I'm humiliated and and all I'm doing is looking at my feet instead of worrying about the ground balls and swinging right and so. I vowed to myself. So that's the role money played in my life. So then I vowed to myself I don't want that to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And I want to experience some of the good things in life. So I took into, then that's the next, maybe the next step in that is what lessons maybe overtly did did your parents teach you or your caregivers teach you about money? Mm. And it's in most cases, a lot of people would say nothing. Uh, we learned something by just watching. Yeah. And the role money played, maybe it was stressful, maybe it was not talked about, maybe whatever it was. Then, then maybe what roles did, what, what uh, lessons did we learn? And then lastly, what did we take into our adult life uh, that we've adopted as, as the way we think about money? And so that's taking money from an unconscious thing to a conscious thing and just own it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that is my upbringing. That is how I view money. That is why I respond the way I do in part. Uh, So now I'm adult. And so guess what? I want nice cars and I want nice houses and I want nice clothes because, but it, but it was never um, comfortable for me. Mm. It always came with this stress because my underlying wiring was frugality. And yet my pain and what I wanted to fix was I wanted to spoil myself once in a while. Mm. And so there was this tension and there's always been a tension, It said, I can't afford to spend it because I have frugal, but I want to spend it because I want to experience that. So I brought that, guess what, into my marriage. (laughs) And, and, and so then we think that we bring our, our history into a marriage or into a partnership and the other person brings a completely different history. Maybe it's the same, but it's a lot, a lot of times very different. And then somehow we're going to figure out how to run our financial lives together perfectly. I mean, it's a joke Mm -hmm. and and not ever talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so, and so my wife came into the marriage with a, from a home that was more free spending. They may be overspent. Uh, and on nice things. And she had the, you know, really cool Camaro car as a 16 year old that her dad bought her. And all, I mean, all this stuff that I didn't experience. And so then when we got to make major financial decisions, guess what? She's like, let's go for it. And I'm like, going, eh, I want to, but I can't because I'm frugal. And then we got into this just craziness, crazy making. So, so step one is to really just understand that. And the tip for people is go on a money date. And a money date is this idea, and it's not very sexy, right?
0: <laughs> I know, it <laughs> sounds a little like a stressful date. <laughs> yeah. But, but, <laughs> but a good one.
1: But a good one, yeah. Uh, go because it might be that it's not that people don't want to get their act together financially. It's that we've brought this history with us and then we never talk about it. So go talk about it. Mm. Go on a money date, literally, just to talk about your history mm. and tell the story of how. Money, what role did it play in your life and what, what do you view it and what did your dad always tell you? Never be in debt, or what? And you still hear that voice all the time, right? And so um, go talk about it. And the role of the other person is just to be empathetic. You're not there to fix that history. You're not there to solve that history. You're there just to listen to that history empathetically and go, wow, that must have been hard, you know. I understand now why you're so conflicted every time we go buy something that's expensive. Mm -hmm. I can see now, I understand more clearly why you react the way you do. Mm -hmm. And just hear that story and let each other, because then money can become this thing where my wife and I now... She can be more appreciative of what I go through and I can be more understanding of what she's gone through. And sometimes she'll just give me space. I know now you need to go wrestle with this. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You need to go wrestle with that before we make that decision. You're right, I do she would have made the decision days before, you know, days before. And instead of being frustrated now Mm. as much, I'm not saying she's not frustrated with me once in a while, but, but it's less frustrated um, because there's that understanding we're starting. We've built on that understanding over time, of course.
0: Yeah. That's really a one. That's so, there's so much information in there. I think anybody, if you're listening, I hope that you take yourself on a money date maybe ask a friend who's growth minded if they want to do it with you and you guys can bring your journals and, and have a glass of wine and talk about money. I mean, honestly, I was thinking a lot of people are probably wondering, how do I really remember my history? And uh, what I found has been really helpful for me in personal development is looking at moments that are painful memories for you, because those are memories that are just ripe with different beliefs you might have had about money in that moment. You were so in pain that you probably came up with some sort of story about it. Uh, So this is just so great, John. And you talk about your emotional relationship to money as well, which I know kind of goes back to your money history. Um, so as a second step to upgrade your relationship with money, let's say somebody right now is after this podcast interview, they're going to text their friends, set up a money date, um, talk about their history. Um, how do they explore their ro- emotional relationship with it next?
1: Yeah. So so the second piece of that, as you've said correctly, is is just we all get triggered by money. We just all do, and, and we get triggered not just when we spend it. We also get triggered when we uh, share it, so be, are generous, uh, as well as save it. So money just has these naturally built-in uh, emotional reactions to it, and so it's starting to become conscious. Uh, you're going to hear me say that a lot because we're unconscious to that. If we can become conscious of what we think about something, the premise is if, you, if you're conscious about what you think, that has a direct impact on, on your emotional feelings and reactions to something, which leads directly to the decisions we make. So it, it, that happens automatically without us thinking about it. But if you think about it, guess what? You can change the downstream decisions that are both positive and negative, not only for yourself, but for the people around you. So the, the idea is if I can connect more clearly to my emotional reaction to money and potentially change that reaction. I can maybe improve uh, my downstream decision-making as it relates to money. Mm. So instead of just being triggered and boom, that's what I do. So I, I, I tell a story often of, and I, I ask people, when was the last time you were triggered or emotionally triggered by money? And and it doesn't always have to be negative. Those tend to be the ones, though, that are, are easier to work with. But sometimes it can be positive reactions. But more than not, it's negative. And I won't go into the long story I typically tell, but it, it, the, suffice it to say, uh, I was triggered by this washing or wash and dryer decision we made and what ultimately happened. And guess what? It's a GE washer and dryer. Guess what? I have GE stock in my 401k. And what did I do? I didn't think logically about it. I just sold the stock because I was so pissed off.
0: So, so you money just to kind of like, there's a level of punishment.
1: Well, come. it's, it's just this idea that our, our emotional triggering connects directly yeah. to our decision making. Totally for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And so what I created was, and I started to see that in very successful people who who had enough money, but were making decisions that didn't make sense. They were anxious and worried and stressed and guilty. And I was like going, well, wait a second. You got enough money that you should be confident and calm and, <laughs> and peaceful. Uh, what is causing that? And what I saw was this idea of money EQ that we have this emotional intelligence as it relates to money and well wouldn't that be cool if i could use that as a way a framework if you will to give people a sense of how is my eq as it relates to money we all kind of know about you know just regular intelligence and, and if somebody has emotional intelligence, that, that, those don't always go hand in hand. But nonetheless, that's a concept we all understand. And so my belief is there's there, you also have a, a money EQ, uh, an emotional intelligence as it relates to your money. So I created this framework, which uh, for all your listeners, you can go to moneyeq.com. It's a free assessment. But basically what this assessment tests is two spectrums. One is the spectrum of ownership and stewardship, how you... Uh, think about money from an ownership or a stewardship perspective. Stewardship would say the money is is ours, if you will. There's a higher priority for the money, much like a steward uh, in that concept of stewardship. Ownership would say, no, the money's mine. The money's for my benefit. I like to call this the sandbox test. Kind of when you're a kid, you're in the sandbox and get the toys. And there's all the kids. Are the toys ours for us all to share, or are the toys mine? Mm. So that's the first spectrum. And then the second one is this idea of abundance and scarcity. And abundance uh, is this, this, this open, kind of almost like an open-handed enoughness, sufficiency, if you will. This idea that I have enough. And maybe for some people, I have more than enough. It's not about the amount of money. It's a mindset that I believe I have sufficiency. On the other end of that is Scarcity. Scarcity would say it's a zero-sum game. I've got to get my share. Kind of that musical chairs kids game. I got to make sure I got a seat at the table, right? Um, And so I'm somewhere between those two. And what that created was four quadrants. Three of those quadrants are fear-based, and and the highest catabolic space in that, the negative life-draining energy space, is where there's high anxiety, high stress, high worry as it relates to money because I'm in an ownership mindset, the money's mine, and guess what? I don't have enough. I need more. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was seeing that in, in some of the very successful people you were mentioning where I was like going, I know you have enough. I, I can run the numbers and prove it to you. Mm-hmm. And no amount of proving was changing their emotional reaction. They were still not content uh, with the position they were in.
0: Mm, I love this. It's so true. And it's, it's personal development right there is that usually people think something outside of them is going to make them feel a certain feeling when really that voice inside of their head is going to keep running until you work with it. So it's good that, you know, the voice of not enough or the voice of, um, when I'm there, whatever there means, I'll be happy, you know? So it's, it's good to kind of show everybody as, everybody's listening that, you know, you're working with people who have so much money sometimes and they don't feel it. They still don't feel it. So great. Um, And and the third step you talked about was how do you think about money as it relates to your values? So I'd love to explore that because I think uh, core values is something we talk about a lot here on this podcast.
1: You bet. As it relates to core values, our thoughts about money are shaped by, so, how what we think about money is shaped by the values that are core to who we are. And so, if you don't know what those are, and I don't know how you've gone through that with with your listeners, but there's tons of core values uh, worksheets available on the internet. If somebody doesn't have one, send me an email. One. And give, yeah, yeah, give me mine. <laughs> yeah. So that's not the important part. The important part is 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 this value in your life something there's evidence of, and or are they just aspirational? And so. Um, the key would be for me is to do some testing and communicate with somebody around it. Hey, if I say I'm generous, but I can't point to being really generous in my life, there's nothing wrong with having that as an aspirational value, but I want something that's evidence-based. So then if I know what, I kind of go through a process of doing that. I know what my top five, let's say values are, and maybe even an order priority and ask my spouse partner to do the same thing. Then the power is in what, what are our aligned values? because we both bring we're different people <laughs> we're not you know the same person and so my wife and i actually had to do some coaching with somebody around that cuz that's a that's could be a challenging conversation what is it that we're aligned around from a value standpoint together and we actually took another step and, and painted a picture, which sounds kind of funny, but we did. We painted this picture with our aligned values and we posted it in our, in our bedroom. And the interesting part about that is I would encourage people to put those up somewhere because when you do, what happens is that when anytime I, <laughs> I walk into the bedroom or we have some conversation around money, it's interesting. What I found is when money is connected to a value, it's almost effortless in the decision-making.
0: Wow. That's great. It's like, what if your value is freedom and you're, are you just going to, you know what I mean? Part of me is thinking, well, what does freedom mean? So you got to go really deep. I'm guessing, um, what would be some feedback for anybody listening who wants to start this process? I have a core values guide at u-turnpodcast.com slash core values. And I think a lot of you who are listening have used it. Um, and if you haven't, you can grab it now, u-turnpodcast.com slash core values. But John, what are some steps that somebody could take? Because I totally get that. I've had clients before who are very aspirational in their values versus grounded in the truth of who they really non-negotiably are as a human. Uh Uh Um, So what are some steps that you would recommend somebody take as they're looking at different words and considering different core values and thinking about lining them up with how they spend or don't spend?
1: Yeah, I think I think it starts, my personal opinion is it's hard to do some of this stuff by yourself. Um, it, it really is. And you need a place to be able to verbalize that and talk about it and have somebody ask you questions. So this is one of those spots where I think coaching is just hugely valuable uh, or a mentor or somebody who maybe has a better relationship with money than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so who are those people in your life? And maybe just spend some time with them and say, look, I'm trying to navigate a little bit. The essence of, of who I am, and connect that to my money, because I believe that will have positive uh, ramifications for my life. And so, I, I think the other part of that is just finding enough time to be quiet. Mm. There's the self discovery is is hard work. There's a reason we don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's convenient
0: it takes, too. Sometimes you got to yeah. unravel your life a little bit when you find certain answers, which can be yeah. apparent, even though it's great. It,
1: super hard, and maybe I don't want to look at that. Yeah. And and so taking the time to actually, I know for me, that was a lot of work to to coaches and counselors and workshops and thinking and journaling and all that stuff that I've been doing for a long time. And I don't think it's a one and done. I do believe that it's a, it's a process. It's a journey. And you, you, I don't believe our core values necessarily change. I think we are chipping away at who we really are. And that just gets clearer and clearer and clearer the more time we spend at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were some of the things that, that I would encourage somebody to do.
0: That's helpful. And then I love your final point that we had kind of talked about was establishing your definition of success, because I've heard this before, but I've never really had someone talk about what does that mean? How do you come up with your definition of success? So anybody listening now, maybe you're going to have a money date, talk about your money history. You're going to explore your emotional relationship with money, where you've been reactive, where you've been attached, all of those different things. Um, look at your core values. What are your top five non-negotiables um, As and going deep with those and then finally defining success. So how can somebody do this, John?
1: Well, so it's, it's money and success are so connected in our society. Brene Brown is kind of a big deal. I don't know if you talk yeah, about her on your show her. at all, but yeah, she, I do too. She's just awesome. But she says, that defining success is one of the most important things you can do for yourself, for your relationship, for your family, uh, in life. That's, that's our right to be able to define success. The problem is if you don't do it, if you don't take that ball and run with it, society does it for you. Mm-hmm. And society pretty clearly tells us what that answer is. Just look who we celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so there so what I encourage people to do is then redefine success, redefine success into a more holistic picture, personal, professional, and financial. Because we all, we started this conversation with, it wasn't, I didn't want that. I want that and I want everything else. But what is that picture? And Mm -hmm. how do you think about that? And so I was even having a tough time doing that. And so I went, well, I'm a financial guy and I look at things through financial lens. So I said, well, if life was a portfolio, what are the stocks? And I came up with seven. So I call this thing called the life portfolio. And the idea was that these stocks are your money, of course. It's the fuel, your work. Where is the, the passion and your engagement in life that's going to create opportunities? What are the relationships, personal uh, as well as family, as well as my relationship to the world? Uh, the fourth stock was play. Where is my just enjoyment of life, hobbies, just travel, any of the things that bring me just joy, uh, health, health? My physical as well as my emotional health. If I don't have that, a lot of this is built on a base of that. I could have tons of money and not have health. And then what's the point, you know, Mm. Um, my mind, intellectually curious and growth and development and then purpose. Where's my heart? What's connect? What's connecting me to something bigger than myself? And so those were the seven stocks. And I went, you know, just like an investment portfolio, it needs to have goals and objectives that's the first thing the investment advisor would ask you well, what's the money for what's it what's its purpose well so there's having some sense of what is that for if money's not the end it's the means what, what's important to me mm-hmm. secondly um, diversification are one of these stocks dominating am I over focused on money and work am I just really let my health languish or whatever but you get to define that diversification and maybe it's picking one or two of those stocks in the portfolio and the kind of diversification you want to have and then lastly, the return. I don't think we consciously think about the return on our life. And I think a lot of people accept really low returns, like CD returns, when in fact, they'd really love to have stock returns or private equity returns, but they but they really are willing to accept CD returns. And I believe if we only have one life to live, I wanted to maximize those returns on my portfolio, on my life. So what is that? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, again, back to that, I didn't want to have regrets. I didn't want to get to be 50 and have regrets. I was talking to this super successful uh, CEO and had been financially successful, uh, you know, beyond his, his, you know, expectations for sure. Uh, And I, he said to me something really interesting. If I was to grade my financial life, I'd probably give myself an A minus, which I think is kind of funny that high achieving people can't give themselves an A or an A plus. But the more interesting part was, he said, if I was to grade my life, I'd probably give myself a C plus because there's this disconnect between the life that we believe we wanted to live and the life he was actually living mm-hmm. and how often we all have that uh, as, as an outcome. The, the, the other thing that, and just real quick, is I sit and have conversations with couples all the time called an ideal outcomes conversation, which is basically this idea of sitting down and talking about what your future is and what are the dreams and what are the ideal outcomes that you want for your life. And I can't tell you the number of people that say, gosh, we should do this more often. And isn't it funny that we don't spend time on the very thing that we want most for our lives. Mm-hmm. And I ask a lot of questions, but the one that's the, that is the most interesting one and I'll pass on to you is pretend we're sitting together five or 10 years from now, and you're telling me, Ashley, how wonderful your life is going. What specifically is happening that makes you feel that way?
0: Mm, amazing.
1: And then write those things down and put them the place that is the most important place in the house on the fridge. Because every time you walk in the kitchen, then to grab that cup of coffee, you have this vision of your life and what it's about. Mm and what the money is pointing you towards. And ultimately, you'll move that direction. I believe that is living fully.
0: I love that. I love that. And just this idea of a vision versus a to-do list, because so many people around New Year's are coming up with lists of to-dos versus visions that are compelling and exciting for them. So really amazing. Um, Thank you so much, John. This has been so helpful. I could ask you so many questions knowing all (laughs) the topics you talk about. Um, and I just, if there's one last thing I wanted to ask you, it's, um, if you could go back in time and give yourself one, your younger self, one piece of advice that, you know, now, what would it be?
1: Stop worrying so much about what other people think.
0: Great. Love that. Me and you both. That's great. Thank you so much, John. Take care. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for making the time.
1: Oh, it's been great. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey guys, it's Ash here and I am really excited that you were able to tune into this interview with John Christensen because I think someone who manages wealth for so many people is still talking about all of this mindset stuff that I've had so many guests come on with and there's a few things that he shared about that I found to be really, really interesting. Um, One of the, the concepts that he talked about was really looking at your core values and making sure that you're not being aspirational about them, which means having a conversation. So in the same way that he recommended having a money date, I would also go to so far as to have a date with a friend saying, let's have a core values date and talk about what are our core values? Like what, um, what do you see in me? Here's how I see it. Um, and go to my core values guide at u slash core values, such a powerful tool with all of those different words for you to take a look at. Um, Also, and by the way, I'm literally looking at my notes uh, and I can't even read my own notes. Do you ever do that? Um, But one of the things that John talked about was also paying attention to what you learned. And sometimes we don't realize what we learned unless we notice um, different scenarios that really impacted us. So my invitation for you ahead of your money date is to... Write down the top five memories you have in your life as it relates to money in your household. Um, That could be the conversations that were going on about success or career. That could be anything where money was on your mind or a thought um, because i think that those five experiences can provide so much meat for a productive conversation about uh, money and what you saw because we learn from what we see and when you're able to take a look at what you saw and draw that into your awareness you're able to start to notice those conclusions that you might have bonded into so on I don't know if it's positive or negative, I often saw my dad having what he wanted and whether he could afford it or not. And what I learned from that, I think subconsciously was, and now more consciously since I'm talking about it, is that you don't have to wait for what you want. And when we really look at addictive habits, usually um, if I had an addictive relationship with money, I would be addicted to avoid the feelings that come up when I don't get the thing. Um, So in my dad's case, or even in my case, um, in the past, you know, maybe he, what I learned from watching him was there's no need to wait for what you want, even if you can't afford it. And my question would be, um, from a psychology standpoint, what would have come up for him or what comes up for me having learned that in the wait, in waiting for having something? Um, And for me, the answer would be a lot of discomfort. Like I want it now and and I don't understand why I can't have it now. And if you have a credit card, who even cares? You can pay it back. And that's another thing uh, I learned through this is you can just pay for it later. Um, So these are all different things that I learned through watching my family navigate money and And I love what John said about forgiveness because I think that as you kind of go on your money date and look at all of these scenarios and kind of draw some conclusions of how are you operating with money and how much does it align or how is it different from your your family and and what are you believing that's keeping you operating that way. So for me, um, my debt for a lot of years was fueled by what I learned of you don't have to wait for what you want and you can just put it on a credit card. And in some ways that served me. And that's what's so challenging because I built a whole business off of that. I did really well by taking risks and not waiting to be able to afford my website or not waiting to be able to afford that coach. I hired the coach. I did the website and all of that translated into millions of dollars and success. And, you know, if, you know, and to me, success is so much more than money, but that was one marker of it. And so it's also interesting because sometimes the things that we learn that are really sabotaging um, also have a payoff. And so it's about paying attention to what are the payoffs? Like, where do you, pun intended, like, (laughs) what are you getting out of operating this way that might not be working for you? And where is it not working for you? So I'm really excited for you to have your money date. And most of all, I'm excited for you to forgive whoever it is in your life that you feel upset about as it relates to money. And even if that's yourself, you know, like even as John was saying, like, you need to forgive yourself. It was like, yeah, shit, I do. Like, I am so proud of who I've become on the other side of paying off hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt in the past three years. I'm so proud when I go on stage and I'm able to keynote and speak to all these audiences about a message that I have about how sacred rock bottom is, everything that I've learned from losing my money and offer that, you know, polish that painful pearl of wisdom off and share it with an audience. It means so much to me and I couldn't have gotten there without all of this. So I love that he kind of shared forgiveness because I think that forgiveness is so powerful when you really mean it and when you really put your hand over your heart and you say it out loud, I forgive myself for X, Y, Z. In my case, it's I forgive myself for messing up my business, for making poor decisions. The truth is I'm so proud of what I did and proud of the impact I made and proud of the risk that I took even if they ended up blowing up in my face and um, while in the past paying for what I wanted before I could afford it worked for me and helped me build this business I'm so proud of it and really gave me a lot in my career I'm excited to forgive myself for the mistakes that came with that and move forward with a new empowered narrative but it starts with evaluating that money conversation so uh, I'm really excited um, give me a shout out on instagram let me know what you learned from your money conversation with your friend tag john christensen so honored to have had him and so grateful you're listening Uh, Thanks again for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.